you'll join with me today. Our scripture reading is from Ephesians 5, 18 to 19. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, we are in a Ephesians series, and a, a quick announcement. I, I will be going on sabbatical in a couple of weeks, and um, I will return in time for Advent. So for the next few months, uh, Nate Milheim will be here, and uh, it's a, actually a, a really good time for that because we've partnered with Fuller Seminary uh, for doing a spiritual formation cohort. So for any of you interested, please talk to our elders about that. And we actually got a grant for this to where they would fly faculty up once a month to do spiritual formation retreats for us. Uh, so it's, it's a really cool program, and uh, we're really excited about it. I'm excited for Nate to be teaching about this because he's been actually in spiritual direction school and just uh, forming himself. Uh, and so he's really excited to preach a series on spiritual formation, discipleship for the next few months to on-ramp us in this partnership with Fuller. And then during that time, and then um, uh, when I come back, I'll do Advent, and then I'm gonna pick up this Ephesians series again. Um, and you guys might think, oh, what a weird spot, like just to end. Actually, it's a really good spot because if you read ahead, we're gonna finish two more verses next week, uh, 20 and 21. And then it's the wives submit to your husbands verse. So that's really why I'm taking a sabbatical. It's like, <laughs> I, 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 I'm hoping that the Lord comes back before then, the rapture, and like, you know, then I don't have to deal with it. And then, you know, I, we're cool, right? But no, I, we'll do the Advent series. And then we're going to do a, a mini marriage family series during that time because it's, it's addressing spouses and parents and children, employers, employees, all those types of relationships built off of what we've studied so far. Um, so we're going to enter into that series. And then into Ephesians 6, it's spiritual warfare. So it's another mini-series within Ephesians. And then we'll go into that. So kind of cool, like how this is all working out. And so any questions, please feel free to email me for the next two weeks after that. Sorry, I'm not going to reply to you. I'm shutting it off. <laughs> but you can uh, reach our elders at any time. It's just elders at regenerationweb.com or our staff, staff at regenerationweb.com. Fully capable staff, fully capable elders and deacons as well. So really excited uh, for this next chapter for regeneration and just what we have with our partnership with Fuller and moving in. And then we'll get back to Ephesians after Advent. So these two verses, verses 18 and 19, uh, just for a little bit of context, our study since chapter 4 has a central theme to it, and it goes back to verse 1 of chapter 4, and it reads this, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now those in Christ have been called to conduct our lives in a manner worthy of belonging to Jesus. Ephesians isn't a letter addressed to people outside of Christ. It is for those in Christ, and people outside of Christ need to understand chapters 1 through 3 first, which we've spent months looking at. And this is written to those who have heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, and were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. That's who this is addressed to. And the lives of those in Christ are to reflect the truth we have in Christ. And so these imperatives, right, in chapters 4 through 6, what, what we're told to do, what we're told not to do, those are based on those indicatives found in chapters 1 through 3. And so this is not some list, chapters 4 through 6, of some biblical ethic or biblical morality that everyone is to follow. Paul is writing specifically to those who are in Christ. And not those who are just acting like they're in Christ, but they're not really in Christ. And so God wants us simply to be who we really are, just to live into that. And then we're instructed how to walk. And we're going to go back a few verses to verse 15 in chapter 5. And it reads, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so we looked at these verses last week. We get into verses 18 and 19. But just more background before we get into 18 and 19. The Christian life does have do's and don'ts. You know, you'll, you'll debate some people sometimes and they'll say, like, well, the Christian is not really a list of do's and don'ts. It's, the, it's a relationship or like they give these different answers, right? But let, let's just be honest. There, there are do's and don'ts. It's here for us. But we don't lead with these do's and don'ts. We don't lead with chapters 4 through 6. We lead with chapters 1 through 3 because if we lead with 4 through 6, we misrepresent God to people. And people may misunderstand that those do's and don'ts have to be performed in order to be accepted by God. And that's not accurate. It is by grace that we have been saved through faith. It's not by our own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Right? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. However, those in Christ are simply being who they really are. We do according to who we are, and we don't do according to who we are. That's not to say that we're perfect or that we won't fail because we will all fail. But the thing is, is that we posture ourselves to live as Christ. And some of us will fail really miserably because we're tempted to act foolishly instead of wisely. Because we don't make the best use of time. We waste time. And so it's written in verse 16, the days are evil. And I think we all know that they are. When has evil not been present with humanity? Evil was present with the Ephesians. Evil is present with us today. And the world that we live in is a fallen world and people tend not to like the word evil because then it categorizes morality and people don't like the categorization, especially when they're categorized on the evil side. So what do people do instead? It seems to me, from my observation, rather than labeling something or someone evil, people like to put some sort of psychological or sociological label to things or to people. And so rather than people just saying that that is bad or that is evil or that is wrong, 
an example of this is like children, right? Children who misbehave or students who commit crimes aren't categorized by their teachers or, or whoever as right and wrong, usually. There is some other reasoning behind it, that there's a psychological reasoning behind why that child or student is doing that thing or, or a sociological explanation as to how they were misguided or, or were under-resourced or victimized or, or some unfortunate thing, which is all true, that those things have happened. And I agree that our environments can misguide us, but these are, are symptoms of a greater problem. And our culture tends to address the symptoms without addressing those underlying conditions, which then makes solutions futile. We are so afraid of calling people evil when they are. And without a proper diagnosis, there isn't a cure. And the Bible says the days are evil, and we're in the thick of these days, and it's not just one group that is evil against another group of people, it is that we're all evil. We're all messed up. And there are many people who defy the authority of God, who disobey the laws of God, who reject the word of God, and refuse the Son of God. And the Bible tells us that this is our underlying condition. And this is what needs to be addressed. But the world is not making the best use of its time to get this right. It's doing something else. It has a different diagnosis. And it's the wrong diagnosis. They won't find a cure because it's simply the wrong diagnosis. It's some psychological thing. It's some sociological thing. When it's actually a spiritual thing. We're evil by nature, and we try to solve things, evil things, without addressing the evil that is within each person, within each one of us. And so it's still no wonder why we deal with evil 2,000 years later when Paul wrote this letter, because the world's still broken. It's still full of hate. It's still very dark. And no matter what we've tried over the many generations, there still lurks this deep and dark shadow within people. That wars still happen. That there's this inability to find peaceful resolutions to centuries-old problems. Then there's still jealousy and hate and spite, and they still run rampant in our world, and none of us has had to take a course in it. We just know how to do this. We were born with this. You don't believe me? Just look at children. Because you don't have to teach kids to be selfish. Right? You, you don't have to do this. It, it is natural. They do this naturally. And if you don't believe me, you just have to do one thing. Serve in children's ministry. And you'll find out quick that it's truth. What do you have to teach them? To share. You have to teach them generosity. You have to teach them grace and mercy. You don't have to teach them how to be selfish. You don't have to teach them how to steal. You don't have to teach them to say not so good things. They just do it. 
And the same thing for adults, right? You, you don't have to teach people how to say wrong things. We naturally do. Again, if you don't believe me, just ask your spouse how well you say things. Ask your children how you say things. Ask your friends, ask your family how you say things. And you'll find out that you're not as good as you think you are. Right? You're evil. It's who we are by nature. And that's what war is, isn't it? You have wars in your home. You have wars among nations which are just manifestations of the evil playing within and playing out on a larger stage. And so it should be no surprise to us that nations war against one another because we haven't solved the evil within. There are wars happening in our homes, between spouses, within families, and wars happening at work between employees and employers. We might have all sorts of psychological and sociological reasons, but underneath whatever reasons people give is that there is an evil within. And so we've made progress in technology and medicine and science in all sorts of ways, but are we better people? People's hearts haven't changed even though we've had so many advancements in so many ways that the heart is still evil. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You see, the heart is what needs to be addressed, not the symptoms that are happening because of what's coming from us. It's us. And if we address anything else outside of us, we are fooling ourselves that we are finding solutions. And so what does God do for us? Take a look at Ezekiel chapter 36, starting in verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, people won't get the proper cure without the proper diagnosis. And you won't be saved without the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ who came to bear our sins, our evil in himself on that cross so that we die to sin and we live in righteousness through him. Jesus took that penalty that we deserved and gives to us all the benefits of his perfect life through his atonement. And so we live in this truth as those in Christ and this is why we look carefully how we walk, as wise and not as unwise. And this is why we make the best use of the time. This is why we are not to be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, with that background, now we get into verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Drunkenness is foolishness. And so a little bit of context here. 
We know that in Ephesus that the goddess Diana was the goddess that was most celebrated in Ephesus. There was a huge stadium there. It's still there, by the way. You can go. The amphitheater is there. You can see this. But right behind this goddess was another god that they worshipped, and, and the god's name is Bacchus. Right? Bacchus was the god of wine, so essentially the god of Napa. So you can imagine just how people in Ephesus lived with the goddess Diana, fertility, and the god Bacchus, wine. Vegas times 100, right? It's like, it's, it's crazy. And so Paul didn't just bring this out of the blue. Oh yeah, by the way, drunkenness. I'm going to choose that one. No, the, the context was goddess Diana, god Bacchus, and so that's why I need to bring this into light. And so he brings this up, and he brings this up because this is the context of people's lives and what they were coming out of. People were coming out of worship of Diana. People were coming out of worship of Bacchus. And so he's addressing this because drunkenness is just commonplace. And alcohol had control of people's lives completely, just as sex did in that city. Sounds familiar? Our society is very similar. The Christian, those in Christ, is not to let anything take control of our lives because that is idolatry. That is the only place that is for God. We are to be filled with the Spirit of God. We are to be controlled by God. And so you follow Paul's train of thought here from verse 15 on. It's right. So verse 15 it says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And so the negative thing is being unwise, and the positive thing is being wise. And so then you go into verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The negative thing is wasting time. The positive thing is making best use of the time. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Negative, foolish. Not understanding the will of God. Positive, wise. Understanding the will of God. And then you get into verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Negative thing, drunk. Controlled by a substance. Positive, filled with the Spirit. Controlled by God. Self-controlled. And so you see these positives with God far outweigh these negatives without God. If you follow Diana, if you follow Bacchus, if you follow some other God, little g, that's what you get. But if you follow Jesus, capital G God, this is what you get. And living a life with God will positively impact everything about your life. You'll be wiser. You'll make the best use of your time. You'll understand what the will of the Lord is. You will be filled with the Spirit, which will positively impact who you are as a spouse, a parent, a child, an employee, an employer, which is the next section of Scripture's. And that's why he brings up the wives submit to your husbands and then he brings up the employees employers and he brings up children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right in chapter 6. And he goes into all these things because this is what happens. If you follow the Lord, you get all these positive things. And if you don't, 
You don't. And so then there's this comparing and this contrasting in verses 15 through 18 between those outside of Christ and then those in Christ. And when we're looking specifically at verse 18, it's a comparison of being out of control, drunk, to being under control, filled with the Spirit. Now, there are some people who claim drinking alcohol is a sin, any of it. It's a sin. Don't do it. It's a sin. I don't read that in the Bible. That, that's not biblical. doesn't seem like that to me. And the reason is, is because in Proverbs, wine is clearly the main drink that is referenced there. And wine is referenced as God's good gift there. And it's a natural part of just food and drink. Paul even tells Timothy and Timothy to use it as a, a medicine to, to like calm his, his stomach because he's like having some issues. But there is a part that drink can't fulfill and there are warnings against its consumption. And we are not to take advantage of just things that we can do and just to like flaunt it as whatever it is. I have to share with you that you have brothers and sisters who struggle with substance and one of them being alcohol. And we have to be really, really mindful of how we do things that we have liberty to do. But if you're going to make a brother or sister stumble by doing this, then it's not that big to give it up, is it? It's not a big thing. You know, back in the day, regeneration actually served wine for communion. We, we actually poured like two buck chuck. Trader Joe's got two buck chuck. We poured it in like these little bowls. People would come up and they'd break the, the cracker, dip it in the wine and they'd take it. After a while, the ushers who were doing communion elements would go and they'd find like, why is every Sunday all the bowls of wine are empty? They're just empty. Like, why is that? And so we're observing and we'd, we'd observe like different people. Sometimes it was the same people. But they'd wait till like no one was looking and they'd just like swig it, right? <laughs> but they had issues with alcohol. They were addicted to it. And there were times where we actually broke someone's sobriety. And it was terrible. So what did we do? Welches. Like, that's it. Grape juice. It's not that we're against wine. It's not that we're saying like it's a wrong thing. We actually thought it was the right thing. That's what they used to do communion. That's what Jesus used. They didn't have Welches back in Jesus' day. Do you know how hard it is to make grape juice? It is so hard. It is so much easier to make wine. But you know why they made it? Because the Welch family is Christian. And they were trying to make grape juice without it fermenting. And, and so that's how you get it. Thank Christians for grape juice, okay? So we changed it. And then our home groups are dry. Again, it's not that we're like, alcohol is bad and you shall not have it because it's a sin. No. We did it because there were several times where there were people in the home group who were in AA or who were struggling with alcohol and they, they would break their sobriety in the home group. They're, they're clean for like years. And they broke it there because everyone else was having it and then they decided to do it and then they broke it. 
And so this news came back to us, and so then that's when we decided, you know what, for the support of those brothers and sisters who are struggling with that and to help them keep their sobriety, home groups are dry. Actually, anything Regen endorsed is dry. If it is not dry, then they didn't get any permission from us because all of ours are dry. And it's not because we're saying, like, it's a sin. We have the liberty to. It's fine for us to. But we do it for our brothers and sisters. We don't want to make them struggle. So that's why we're dry. See, there are many good things God has created for us where we take these good things, but then we use them at the wrong time, or we use them with the wrong people, or we use them in the wrong quantity. And so, for example, the gift of food. This one I struggle with. I eat too much. The quantity is wrong. I'm a glutton. It's something that I need to deal with. Or when we looked at the gift of sex. It's awesome. Sex is great. But if you do it before marriage, it's the wrong time. It's fornication. If you do this with the wrong people, not your spouse, it's a sin. And the similar thing with wine. It becomes debauchery in the quantity. And so we're warned in verse 16, make the best use of the time because the days are evil. Be filled with the Spirit. Have our heart and mind be filled with the Spirit. And you might have been in debauchery once before, but that is no more because of grace, the grace of God. And life filled with the Spirit brings our life to order. That the things that were once broken, chaotic, confused, are brought in alignment with Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that your problems will go away or your circumstances are going to change. What it does do is it changes our perspective to know that Christ is with us and that being in Christ means that we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who will never leave us. That the Holy Spirit is in us to minister to us. And since the Holy Spirit is in us, we're told not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And we grieve the Holy Spirit when we go back to our old lives. When we go back to that old self before we were in Christ. And we are not to do that. We are not to grieve the Holy Spirit, but we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you notice that this is a command. It is an imperative, and it is in the present tense. It's not something that was done in the past, that you did it, it's one and done, and you're always filled with the Holy Spirit. No, that's not what it's saying. It is something that is ongoing, that the filling of the Spirit is something that we can't even do ourselves, that this is something that is indirect, to us, that the Spirit is someone to receive, not something to be done to receive. So then, how does this all work? If I can't do anything about it, then how does it work? Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts 
to God. It is when the word of Christ dwells in us richly that the Spirit of God continually and consistently fills us. We discover the fullness of the Holy Spirit in accordance to the word of God, that our minds are transformed, our hearts are stirred, our wills discerning what the will of God is by the word of God. And we will realize the Spirit is at work in us to fulfill the purposes of God in us and through us. It, it leads us in how we live in our marriage, in our home, in our work. And that's what Paul gets into later in Ephesians 5 and 6. But there's something that happens right away with the filling of the Holy Spirit in worship and in fellowship with God's people. And this is verse 19. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. When we gather together, it is obligatory for us to exhort, for us to encourage one another into this spiritual fullness in Christ. That's why we're here. When we are spiritually alive with the Spirit, we are active in our worship. So we sing, we hum, we play music, we tap our feet, we're, we're active in it. We're not just sitting and looking. And if you are, yes, I'm pointing you out. It's to be active. You're not just there as an audience just to watch what's going on. You are to participate. And yes, there are times of silence and there are times of reflection and there are times where you do just sit down and you just want to reflect on what God is, is ministering to you. But if it's always like that, that, that shouldn't be either, right? There, there are times of singing and, and making melody to the Lord. It, it's our privilege to sing unto the Lord, for all of us to sing together in a spirit-filled praise, that we participate. We participate with each other and with God addressing one another in worship. Now why this distinguishing thing between psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in verse 19? Why isn't it just one thing? Well, the Psalms are, are the Psalms, right? The 150 Psalms that you find in our Bible that Paul is familiar with those. And so he's like, yeah, the Psalms. The hymns are those that aren't Psalms. That, and we, we write those today. We've written those in the past after the Psalms. Like, those are hymns. And then the spiritual songs can be Psalms or hymns, but they're spirit-led. Because... Sometimes you can sing songs and it's just music. It's not worship, right? And so a psalm can be a psalm but without the spirit and a hymn can be a hymn but without the spirit. And so if a, someone outside of Christ sings those things, they're just saying words but they don't really mean that Jesus Christ is Lord or that Jesus Christ is Savior. They're just reciting things without the spirit. And so these spiritual songs... It's kind of saying worship versus just music, plain music, not worshipful. It's just notes. And so our worship is to be directed to the Lord with our heart. Our worship is a work of the heart. And going back to what we were talking before, that 
if you want to address a problem, we have to address the evil within. We have to address our heart. And so it's about the truth and the greatness of God and, and much less about our musical taste, right? We need to be theologically sound in our worship over what is just popular or what kind of suits our musical tastes. And, and I'm really thankful for our worship leaders that they put a lot of thought into it. They, they meditate on the, on the verses that we're looking at and then they come up with their worship set. I'm thankful for them. So let me just read Ephesians 5, 15 through 19, and, and you can just meditate on it yourself. You can close your eyes and just listen to what Paul is writing to us. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. We're going to take communion together now. And then we're going to worship together. And so my hope, my prayer is that we'll sing, we'll make melody to the Lord with our hearts. But before that, let's take inventory of our hearts. And if you don't have the communion elements, please just raise your hand and, and we'll try to get that to you. So as you are taking inventory of your own life and your own heart with the Lord, as, as we take this symbol out, the symbol of Christ's broken body for us. I love that he gives us these tangible symbols. And in terms of like being close, at what in Christ, and Christ in us, I mean, what can be more close than taking this within. And so as you are ready, let's take this together. And the fruit of the wine symbolizing the blood of Christ spilled for us. He tells us to take this sacrament until his return. Let's take this together. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for your love, for your grace and mercy to us. That you thought these things throughout eternity for a way to bring us back to you and you even left us this sacrament of communion to continually remind us and to continually bring us back to your self-sacrificial love for us. And so we ask, Lord, for your Spirit, to fill our church as we enter into a time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.